Bob, do you have any questions before we get into this, or have you? And I, I haven't, I haven't been involved in your correspondence at all. So, um, <laughs> David said I could be drunk, high, and not wearing pants. So I, I think it's covered all my <laughs> my questions. To be clear, I didn't request those three things. Uh, right. Well, okay. Those... Fair, fair enough. Well, you should have told me that like fifteen minutes ago. Is all I. Nudnik, a real bum. The bad clowns freak him out. This is the theme song of the podcast of the movie of the yokel of the nephew who's a dreamer and he can keep a job. We watch the movie by the minute and we talk about what's in it, but we want it to be different, so we added two more seconds. It's UHF 62. Uh, 60 seconds. UHF 60 seconds. Welcome back to UHF 62nd, the podcast where we talk about Weird Al Yankovic's uh, 1989 film UHF, 62 seconds at a time. My name is Jonathan, and I am... (laughs) My name is Jonathan for this episode. I'm joined by my co-host. I guess I'm David then. Yes, and we have a very special guest that I'm really excited to have with us that I teased earlier in an earlier episode that I did not bother to go back and find out which episode it was, but it's already happened. It's in the past. But we have with us Bob Sulier. Thank you for joining us, Bob. Uh, Thank you for having me. I am excited to be a part of this uh, very fascinating project. We are super glad to have you, or I I am anyway. Uh, We'll find out if David is uh, later on. (laughs) So we have uh, uh, episode eight here. Uh, this episode begins with us hearing uh, George's last name and ends with uh, George making a heartfelt request for Bob to bash his head right. Hmm. I don't think we get the N in this in this uh, episode. So th- that is the portion of the film that we're talking about. Jonathan, your thoughts. I'm Jonathan. David, go. So, Jonathan, what are your thoughts then? Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> Catch you off guard. Uh, first of all, I want to know, Bob, is your last name French? It is. Uh, my ancestry is from the Canadians who crossed over in Detroit. That's perfect because we have this uh, uh, little theory that UHF or OUF, as we might say, is uh, possibly French. With the director, J. Lavi. Possibly. There's certainly a conspiracy theory to be made for the French influence, I think, of the vidiot, as Mr. Yankovic liked to call it. Did he like That's to call true. it that? He did. He hated UHF. <laughs> if I'm, again, remembering my research correctly, it was only released as UHF in the United States and then overseas. It was, um, it was something like a, a video with UHF kind of thrown on at the very end. Uh, but that was kind of like a compromise that the studio had made with him because his concern was that, A, UHF was a dying technology to begin with and that it certainly wasn't widespread across you know the rest of uh, the world. So he wanted it to be kind of um, something more universal. And that didn't go over so well with the fine folks from Orion films, the uh, movie company that was going out of business anyway. Yes. <laughs> so that doesn't answer anybody's questions as far as the thoughts of the first 62 seconds um, <laughs> that we uh, <laughs> were supposed to be viewing. Now this is, this is the, um, the, the 62 seconds where Bob and, and George are at big Edna's correct. Well, yes. uh, it's big Edna's burger world. Yes, Big End is Burger World. That's what it is. It's kind of the conclusion of that portion, yeah. And uh, that kind of makes me think. Like, so if, if this is Big Edna's Burger World, does that mean that Big Edna, does she have a bunch of different businesses in town? Is it like Big Edna's Lumberyard, Big Edna's Spatula City? or? Well, we know it's not it, Big Edna's Spatula City because a, a Cy 
Bloom Green or something yeah, like that. Maybe he maybe he bought the company city. from her though. Well, because he liked the company so much, he he did buy it. So it's possible it could have been bid Edna's spatula city. I wouldn't discount that. But you know, it it does. It seems like a very interesting clarifier to not just call it Burger World, but rather Big Edna's Burger World. Or maybe it used to be called Big Edna's, and then Burger World came in town, and they they you know they just bought up all the properties and stuff and. And that was the, the compromise. Maybe that's why she's uh, kind of got a little chip on her shoulder. Is that like the uh, Elias Brothers big boy? or uh, Which I know you like talking about the big boy, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Or um, there's also the uh, BD's Mongolian Barbecue. Those are the only two that are coming to mind right away. So yeah, but well, this is actually the first minute and the only minute, the only episode that we see Big Edna. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the actress who, who played the role of big Edna other than she was in two other kind of minor roles before this. Um, but this, this either was the pinnacle of her career or the very end. Like that was it after this, this movie, she didn't do anything else. You, do you, uh, yeah, you, you had mentioned, uh, before we started that, uh, you knew a little bit about, uh, her and, uh, I was shocked on the commentary. Uh, weird Al says that she was a local woman. So I just assumed that this was the only thing that she'd ever done. And I did not IMDb her. So do, do you know, uh, anything about the other roles that she uh, had? Uh, no, I, they. Um, I remember looking at this when you first asked me about this project, um, probably way too long ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it was just it was two kind of seemingly small parts, and none of the uh, none of the film names kind of resonated with me. Um, okay. But I I just found it interesting that a that she was the person that they chose, and that she had had previous film work. Uh, in her past as well so she's like a mystery that i find fascinating from this entire film not that there aren't other you know fascinating aspects of this movie but she's just one of those characters that comes in makes her presence known chucks him out the door and then we move on yeah it's a a pretty uh singular it it is for the amount of screen time that she has she's pretty memorable that was the thing there are a lot of things in this movie we talked about um, when i was a kid in a previous episode the jump that weird al does off of the platform when the rocks are crumbling was when he's in the (laughs) temple that i used to replicate that kind of exaggerated jump off of um like a six inch high surface a lot. And, uh, another thing that I used to do a lot in, uh, my life was just when nobody was around even, or just whenever a big Edna, big Edna. It's, <laughs> when no one is around. <laughs> it's, it, it kills me. The number of the line. I mean, I rewatched this movie uh, probably two weeks ago again, just to make sure it was fresh in my head, but I had forgotten how many of these lines I have said my entire life, especially even just, just go ahead and bash my head right in. Um, <laughs> the number of times I've said that uh, uh, in and of itself is probably terrifying. Hopefully nobody's taking you up on that. Uh, nobody yet has as, as far as I know. Yet. I just pulled up IMDB while we've been busy, you know, chatting away on, on the important stuff, but mm-hmm. apparently she was a Roman slave. Number one in uh, Norman's awesome experience. And then um, she is a stewardess, number one, in Strange Invaders, also from 1983. So interesting, A, that I haven't seen either one of those films, but B, that she has a starring role, or at least a, a bit role in those. She's always coming in first. That's I like it. No, Never a number two. And that's why she's Big Edna. Weird Al had also mentioned on the commentary that he w- wanted, oh my goodness, I forgot to write down the actress's actual name, but... Uh, Beulah Ballbreaker from Porky's, that actress who uh, was also in Steel Magnolias and uh, oddly was born in uh, Lake Minnetonka, Minnesota, which I just drove through less than 48 hours ago. So that's kind of a really weird synchronicity. Um, Did you but, see her? Uh, they didn't have the... 
Uh, uh, <laughs> possibly. I don't know what she looks like, oh, so I'm going to uh, say okay. I did see well, so her. Also, you might yeah. have seen her, but you don't know. He's definitely wanting wanting somebody big and burly and someone scary, and he said that instead they they got this very very nice woman. Yeah, it would have been funnier if they had somebody smaller, you know, like Mr. <laughs> McIntosh, Noodles McIntosh. Yeah, I think if he had chosen somebody smaller in stature, the big Edna name would have been a, a funnier punch, though. I go for that. I have a question about so so um, you know uh, uh, George is uh, lipping uh, or going off about uh, big Edna. She comes around the corner, and so we can you know there's kind of a cut. We can assume that this terminated their employment. I think that's a fairly safe assumption. It was interesting. I I didn't take note of the number of jobs that they had already had that previous month. And I couldn't figure out why Bob allowed himself to perpetually be fired every time George was. Oh, we talked about that. Uh, we Oh, did you? We had different different opinions that I don't know that they were really hard set opinions, just things that we assumed. So do you assume that he also went from job to job with Weird Al? Or I mean, Weird Al with uh, George. <laughs> George. I'm, all, I'm all lost anymore. Yes, George. Uh or because we also had the theory that he was always at Burger World, but George, that he was getting the jobs for George. And that's why he was so upset about him jumping around. It's entirely possible. He's always felt um, Bob has always felt in the role of, you know, Garth and, and Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Like with me, as always is, you know, Bob. And and so when I've, you know, for all the years I've watched this movie, I've just always felt uh, that Bob was always just somebody who went with George wherever he went for whatever reason. He's very much a, a Sancho to you know George's Don Quixote. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'd buy. That. I like the uh, I like both those analogies, um, and I I think I'm leaning more towards that. I can't remember what my stance was last time, but I um, either am remaining the same or changing it to this view of the relationship. <laughs> the thing that I took that I've always found interesting is I've never worked fast food in my entire life. Of all the jobs, I mean, I have worked janitorial, I have worked security, but in all the jobs I've had, I've never worked fast food. And so I, I've never kind of been in that uh, burger frying, uh, fry burning kind of experience. I don't know if either one of you have had, you know, part of your previous career experience, uh, life in the fast food lane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we I talked about that briefly. Uh, I think it was just last episode that yep. uh, in high school, I worked at a Burger King and uh, Jonathan's mother was actually um, my boss at that Burger King. Um, yeah. And for a while. I, what I didn't mention last episode was uh, I, I kind of tried to avoid that, you know, working at Burger King. But my mom, I'm not going to say she was sneaky because I don't know if she meant to do it, but this is how it turned out. So she got me a quick and easy job of just mowing the grass around Burger King, which is not very much, but, you know, just once a week or whatever it was, a nice little easy job. And then at some point, whether it was her or somebody else, they were like, oh, well, technically, in order for you to work here and for us to pay you, you're going to have to sign these papers. And then I signed the papers, and they're like, well, now that you've signed the papers, you get to work inside. I was like, oh, no. So I worked inside. Probably don't read your Apple's iTunes yeah do you no okay i'm all i'm all upset that i don't own any of my stuff anymore so <laughs> what do we think is the actual thing that got them fired was it because she comes into the room you know as he's insulting her do we think that was the trigger because he just kind of obliterated three customers with mustard or <laughs> he also has ruined the batch of fries do you think that she was like fed up with these yahoos and she's like i can't take it anymore today's the day i'm just gonna fire them and she had just come in you know what do you oh, No, I'm, I'm a firm believer that um we will tolerate incompetence you know until we're blue in the face 
but it's disrespect that'll get you fired. Yeah, I, you're probably right about that. So I think she was totally fine with their incompetence, uh, their wastefulness, their poor customer service. But the moment you cross that line into being disrespectful, that's it. Pathetic Tubelard. I'm pretty sure that that's probably written down on on some paper somewhere that's that's the last in their exit interview <laughs> right above the please return the uniforms is that a policy or i mean do you mm. you don't own your uniform you're just renting your your fast food uniform yeah, yeah you're always it's, supposed to i don't think it's a very good one then. because especially in a burger place i mean your clothes get greasy you know on the inside and the outside you get greasy and the other grease getting on you um so i i don't necessarily want to wear a shirt that someone else was wearing before even if they've washed it. But I, I did have, I remember I had a hand-me-down shirt and I, I was pretty excited after I'd been there like a month or something. I got like a brand new shirt that came like kind of wrapped in cellophane and I was pretty stoked about that. <laughs> um, we've got the uh, phone number on the outside of uh, Big Enna's Burger World, uh, 834-2558. I was very surprised that that wasn't like a 555 number. Um, so I did a quick search. There are only two area codes in Tulsa. Uh, and so I dialed that number with each area code on the front. One is out of order. One went to a very bizarre voicemail retrieval system mm. that I did not have the code for. So dead end. And you, you didn't even try. You just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still punching in, uh, permutations of, a. I didn't know how many digits. So did you I try, mean, did you try the address, the six, eight, three, five? Um, no, oh, I didn't oh, try I, that. I thought you were trying it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> this was filmed in tulsa right yes the, the movie okay almost all of it um yeah so uh, as jonathan said the the street address for this location is 6835 east 15th street which is now the naughty pig uh naughty spelled with a k-n-o-t-t-y naughty pig barbecue burger and chili house and the building looks the same i mean it's it's had a paint job the uh the parking's a little different you're not allowed to park right up next to the front wall like that but yeah it's pretty much the same you pulled it up on google street map or oh yeah you know, did you yeah. Say yeah yeah all right uh also the, there's a second location in this minute that i also did that and that one that one's a little more sad to look at it's a it's yeah boarded indeed. up and under construction right because yep. half half that building was all myers stuff right they had myers uh water systems yeah the family the, water uh, stuff. Uh, tulsa pump company that's how weird al remembers it anyway even though it says myers on every one of those windows but uh but yeah, that building, yeah. Uh, that building on Google right now is all boarded up, and it looks like they are doing some construction. It looks like there's well, the sign there's a sign that says late 2017, I think, that there's a bar coming. Um, so maybe that bar is already there, and I don't know. They need to update their uh, street view. Yeah, and just to clarify, we're now this is the building that uh, Bob and George pull up to, and that that building uh, we learn is. Um, uh, 14 West Archer Street. And that's both their apartment and the karate studio. Yeah, apparently. And also Myers Pump and Water System on the ground floor. Yes. Yeah, so where is their actual apartment? I mean, we can talk about the apartment when we actually get inside the apartment. Just looking at it from, from here, the front view, like, do they have to walk through the Myers to get to their apartment behind it? Or do they, are, is there uh, maybe their apartment is just free advertising? Well, since the windows are facing the street and that's where the Cradio studio is, their apartment has to be on the back side, would be my guess. So perhaps there's a round the back rear entrance 
uh, where there's no parking. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, if you go on the Google Street View, you can see around the side of the building, and there is like a full-on like um, garage door, uh, like a double-tall garage door around the back side of the building that I kind of was hoping was how they got into their apartment. They had to open up that huge garage door <laughs> and go into their apartment. <laughs> of course, the apartment would have to be upstairs, I would think, because the karate guys are right. adjacent to them, so... Oh, we will definitely talk about that, too. Now, I don't know about you, but I, the first time I saw them pull up in front of that building and uh, George's car, uh, I'd never seen anything like that in my entire life. And I was I was flabbergasted. And I'm like, someday I'm going to own that car. I, I still haven't. But someday, I mean, there was something about <laughs> that 1956 Nash Metropolitan where I'm like, that car is amazing. And of course, that was the same car that he, uh, Weird Al Yankovic used in his 1999 All About the Pentiums video i don't know if you recall that yeah um, yep. video but he he rolls up in that same car i like how the scene change we start out by looking at a 1983 porsche 911 sc <laughs> so i, I like yeah, that they give us a super sportsy car that has two guys in it but it is a compact you know i think it might just be a two-seater i don't know if that one has a back seat so that one just moves out of the way and then this one comes into view even the transitions from the three cars that were out front of big edna's to the Porsche and then to the to the Metropolitan seemed to be a, a very interesting kind of uh, juxtaposition of all those three elements. But I don't remember what the three cars were. The, the one on the left was red. I believe the red one is the Ford Probe, which I distinctly oh, remember you yeah. when those cars came out. You saying you really wanted one of those. Yeah, but we ended up, um, my, my wife ended up owning a, a gold Ford Probe. Um, that she then proceeded to put leopard seat covers on and a leopard steering wheel cover on. Right. Uh, so every time I had to drive her car anywhere, which, you know, it's a low <laughs> two door, you know, flip up headlights. I always felt like I should have a large hat with a feather on when I got out of the car. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, that was an early Ford probe. You're right. Now that you mentioned that. So yeah, then I, I, I think that there's a uh, um, Volvo and I can't make out what the silver car on the end is. Not that it, it, it doesn't matter much. But you're right. I do. I like the um, the camera movement of the um, you know the cameras pulling out and establishing as the Porsches going uh, left to right, and then that uh, reveals the Nash coming in right to left. It's a it's just a um, and so the juxtaposition of the movements and the juxtaposition of the type of car is pretty fun. And going back to what you were talking about, Bob, um, I I don't remember the Nash having it just existed as an obvious thing like obviously to me anyway when i saw it it didn't i didn't like nothing jumped out about it it was just i, I don't know the word that i want but it was such a it just seemed like weird al drives this car of course he's never driven any other car like this is you know it just it didn't strike me at all because it was even though i'd never seen probably a nash before it just seemed like the right thing for uh, Weird Al to be or George to be in. I guess both of them. Yeah, it's it's a natural part of him as much of his hair and his glasses were at the time. Exactly. I don't I I don't want to skip over the fact that uh, that Bob that you are our guest for this episode, and this is actually the minute that we we learn officially for real that his friend's name is Bob. We see Bob in earlier episodes, but we we did not hear his name. So lucky, lucky chance, or or we it, we planned it very well, or something. I'm not sure what happened. Yeah, I you know as a as a kid growing up with the name Bob, there were not many movies with you know strong male leads named Bob in it for some reason. What about Bob? Uh, so it was just well, again that didn't happen. It was oh, okay. after '89. 
it was just one more of the, the pieces that made this movie so enduring to me. And, and it's, it's it's surprising how fundamentally my life has been shaped by something as simple as this movie. Not to skip way, way ahead, but uh, Stanley Spadowski's mop speech probably is one of the core tenets of my life. <laughs> Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't I don't say that, you know, in all seriousness, it really is just that notion that, you know, sometimes life is like a mop and these floors are dirty as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And um, there's there's such a truth there uh, to, to that speech that comes from such a genuine place. It, it, it just it changed who I was in, in a way that I, I didn't appreciate until later in my life. Hmm. I can't say that Big Edna changed my life in any you know fundamental way. But <laughs> have you guys ever had fries that burnt? I mean, whether as as a employee of the fast food or even as a customer. How long do you think? So it's been over 20 years since I worked at that Burger King. Hopefully nobody can get me in trouble for this. But uh, we did used to put big ballpoint pins in the fryers and the um the ink would heat up uh quicker than the plastic tube would melt and so the ink would have to get out and it would because it was heating up and expanding and so it would shoot out the uh ball tip and it would kind of rocket the pin around the fryer on the surface like a speedboat it would kind of go everywhere and hit the sides and while the ink is getting into the grease yeah yeah (laughs) there is that my memory is that we did that at the end of the night. Oh, I closed okay. a lot. My memory is that we only did that kind of at the end of the night when we were, you know, just prior to draining the, the grease um, vats and changing that over for the next day. Hopefully that's the way it went down. But uh... <laughs> That's your story and you're sticking to it? <laughs> yeah. As far as burning the fries, though, the fryers had were on timers, when I worked there anyway, that were piercingly oh, loud oh my, when they I, were done. Oh, my so... goodness. That is horrible. Do you recall that? Yeah, I remember. I remember just standing in line, like at the front counter, and just you know, uh, just thinking to myself, "Get the fries, get the fries." <laughs> yep. So I, I never burnt fries too badly because it just, um, I would have, I needed to make that noise stop, and I think that was the whole point of that. <laughs> when I recall the Big Edna's Burger World logo, there is something about that smiling face over the very generic kind of earth globe that remind me of like captain planet was that the is that the cartoon oh yeah um your powers combined didn't, didn't have like a very didn't have like a very similar kind of uh globe logo with a face on it i don't know why that sticks in my head but i'm like uh, it had seen... a globe i don't recall it it had a face uh uh bj former guest of the show had equated the logo to um Mac that tonight. mcdonald's mac tonight yeah which I don't see, but I, I it reminds me of Globy from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh yeah, that's probably where that's coming from. Yeah, yeah. Captain Planet has a uh, a big yellow globe, but there's no face on it. Oh, gotcha. he's got a face. Well, I was just I gonna. To, um, I've got. Oh, I've got two, two, <laughs> two tiny little things coming from like the beginning of the, the minute. Uh, I did notice that when Big Enda is carrying them out, that there is some mustard continuity. That it it's not the same spray, but. They at least the cared enough to put mustard on the inside of the windows so that you can see it as if he had sprayed. Indeed. I just wanted to point that out. The funny thing to me is that while I certainly recall him spraying the customers, but it was the slamming down of the mustard and the mustard still shooting out of the top of that that stuck with me like, <laughs> oh, that's going to make a mess. Like I was fine with him spraying the customers like I'm good with that. But man, when you slam down mustard like that, don't you understand the mess that that's going to make? <laughs> I was impressed, though, that not to leave Big Edna's uh, too early. But when they show up at their apartment, uh, that there is just a tire iron 
uh, crowbar just laying there on the ground next to the windows that he's able to just pick up and say, here, smash my head with this thing. I never thought about that before. Do you think that that's, that this is a, as soon as you said that, I was like, well, he, they probably keep it there because you know that in the last month, They've had the mini golf. They've had Floyd's Fish Market. Uh, they've had um, the lumber yard. So, uh, or any of the other places you've worked in the last month, or we've worked in the last month. So we know that they've gotten fired from at least five jobs within the month. And so, do you think that he keeps a crowbar right there? So that do you think so that is, this is, is this a, not the first time that this has played out? Yeah. So is this just a repetition thing? Like he's always offering to to bash his head in, or he's always willing to get his head bashed in. It's possible that they live in a pretty shady neighborhood to begin with. I think, and somebody just happened to leave the tools of their trade laying around in front of all the glass <laughs> windows. Because uh, because to me that was the thing that, that stood out. You're in front of all these glass windows, and there is this you know uh, crowbar just sitting there. <laughs> yeah you're right i had never thought about that before that's pretty pretty great i kind of have a feeling you know if if it is part of the story part of the world i have a feeling that he parks his car in that exact same spot every time and that crowbar may may prove to be useful in some ways that maybe you know he's got something wrong with his car that he's he always just used that to just kind of rig it up real quick and uh or maybe that's like his break he just kind of jams it in between a couple things just so it doesn't roll away do we think that they're possibly squatting in this building and they're using the crowbar to break open the Jimmy open the door every time they go home? <laughs> what what I want to know is what did Bob loan George $5 for that he's still holding on to this debt? <laughs> and that's that's the only thing that's keeping him from smashing his brains in. Mm. Because here here you clearly have a very unreliable friend who has either been fired a number of times within a month or you've been fired alongside of him, but you still give him money. And that you still have the anticipation that he's actually going to pay you back someday. Maybe they had to like put a deposit down on their uniforms, and then they just got fired from the job, and they still have the uniforms that they had to pay for. I'd say I would say that's a good guess, or either that, or possibly five dollars worth of Twinkies. <laughs> how how old do we think this debt is? Or he gave him five dollars to pay like for a parking ticket, and then he spent it on Twinkies. <laughs> all, all of those things are possible. But to answer your question of how old we think this debt is. Um, I had a guy that I went to college with, and um, I sold him a Cheeto for a dollar, and he thought I was joking. He's like, hey, man, can I have a Cheeto? I'm like, yeah, it'll cost you a buck. So he's being flippant and handed me the dollar. I still, to this day, have that dollar and refuse to give it back to him. So, again, good friends will keep a debt around for a long time. It's it's part of that core, uh, you know, foundation of that friendship. So it could be from, you know, who knows. High school. Uh, David, because we get this nice splash of the building and we see Cooney's Karate School, I've always had the story in the back of my head that I believe you told me. I know that you went and visited uh, South Korea. I always remember the story you told me about how the Koreans didn't want to use uh, Japanese in their marketing or anything. At the time when I went to Korea, uh, Koreans weren't overly fond of Japanese culture. Um, of course, karate is uh, Japanese, uh, Korean martial arts or the Korean uh, equivalent of karate is Taekwondo. And they're very proud of Taekwondo and very proud of all things Korean. And so I had wanted to show some of my Korean friends um, what I knew about or what I thought all of uh, Asia was like growing up and everything I knew about Asia, um, you know, kind of growing up as a, a, a tween or before my teenage years was a karate kid too. That's all I knew of, of Asia. I thought everything was like Okinawa and karate kid too. And so I really wanted, 
I thought they would be amused to see what I thought they all lived like and what I thought, you know, Asia in general was like as a child. And so I wanted them, uh, so I started telling them, you know, this and they, none of them had ever heard of the movie. So I forced them all to go to a video store and I spent forever trying to find the movie and finally found, of course, because uh, Koreans are not interested in karate. Uh, they, uh, to market the movie in Korea, they had changed the name to Best Kid. So I finally found the movie, rented it, forced all of my Korean friends to watch it. And they all groaned and rolled their eyes and gave me dirty looks for the duration of the film. Now, was it called Best Kid Two? Or yeah, sorry, rename? yes, Best Kid, Best No, Best Kid Two. So, they, so they did have the series Best, Best Kid, Best Kid, Kid I I. Um, let's get back into that Metropolitan Nash though a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if we can all fit in there. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my assertion. I'm not sure that I could get myself into. A 56 Nash. And for a car that was 1500 bucks at the time, man, that is quite the ride, though. Yeah. Speaking of not being able to get into it, I have here that it actually had a shorter wheelbase than the VW Bug, um, which is pretty astounding. Also, the color, I saw a list of all the different colors that you could get this car in. None of them seemed to ring true to the color of the car that we see. So I don't know if this car was repainted. The closest color that I saw that fit what this car is was called Autumn Yellow. But that didn't really quite seem to jive. So I'm not sure if this is a repainted or if this was a, a um, color that you could get uh, off the out of the box at the showroom floor. But uh, 0 to 60 in 22 seconds and approximately 32 miles of the gallon for the uh, Nash. So, equipped with a map light, electric wipers, and continental spare tire. I want one. Uh, Bob, have you actually uh, tried to track one down? I, I have. Um, I've seen. I've seen a number of them at different car shows, mostly because my my dad was a huge car guy. I myself was not, but there was just always something about this car that I just found so so endearing. But I've I've never seen anything that color. Uh, as far as I recall, it was a series three. Um, and like you said, mm -hmm. it, it didn't come in, in that shade. So I have to imagine that it was a, a custom refurbished car. But no, I can't imagine what they what they go for now. Probably less than I think. I'm going to continue on with the, the squatter idea. And I'm going to say that these guys like repainted it as camouflage for the building. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with that. Because that also was painted for one of their previous jobs. <laughs> the lumber yard, maybe? It <laughs> looks very woody. <laughs> it does. I have uh, one thing here I realized going back to names and uh, what we were talking about earlier, learning that uh, uh, George's buddy's name was Bob. I just want to clean this up. This is we get George's last name for the first time in this uh, minute, too, which is Newman, which is a nod to Alfred E. Newman of Mad Magazine fame. I didn't want to. I'm sure somebody would have called us out on that if we hadn't you know, mentioned that. No, I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, because it's so important that George has a last name. It's what makes him a real character. <laughs> yeah, there are there are actually not too many real characters in this movie. Or, well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see what we think as we go through it. Oh, yeah, I don't I, want to ruin the surprise. But... Actually, I think uh, as we move forward, I think uh, a lot of the characters get full names. Like, that's, you know, Stanley Spadowski. Like, everybody kind of has the, uh, the musical intro name. Not musical, but I mean, like, the name kind of rings together you know when you hear like someone's first and last name all Lyrical. the time and then like a celebrity or something and then you hear just their first name and you're like oh i don't you know just just calling steve martin steve like I, that doesn't 
I don't get it. Yeah, even just scrolling through the list, though, it's it's amazing the number of characters who don't have last names as as compared to the ones who do. Because you've got Cooney, who you guys will talk about in the next minute, and then Noodles Macintosh. So yeah, the characters that they choose to have names and don't have names, like Philo, that's he only has one name in the movie, doesn't he? Yeah, and uh, spoilers, I mean, Philo saves the day and he only gets the one name. Oh, I, again, I didn't reveal that part. I just really... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's on me. It's on me. <laughs> Bob, let me ask you this. If, if you want to talk about the movie, uh, you know, as a whole, um, which we all love to do, can you talk about your first time seeing it or how you came to see it, uh, your first impressions of it? I grew up in a very small town in northern Michigan. In, in fact, I was talking about it today in one of my team meetings, you know, because somebody asked, you know, do you remember when Kalkaska got the second streetlight? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, no, I, I remember the first time we got a Burger King. Uh, so it's funny that you guys bring that up. Uh, so there weren't there weren't a lot of options. We had to travel to uh, another town to the west to to kind of go see any movies. So I think the first time I watched this was on video. I remember I got a um, my dad used to volunteer at the at, like the PBS channel there in in town. It's one of the many things that he did. Um, and we always went to the video store, and I ended up getting uh, the movie poster first for the release of UHF coming out on on VHS tape. Sorry, you got the movie uh, poster from the like the out of the window of the movie yeah. store. Oh, yeah, nice. Because they had a bunch of they had a bunch of extra ones. I knew it was before I went to because I didn't go to college until ninety two. So it happened sometime between eighty nine and. And I, and I think 90, 91, somewhere in there, uh, where I was first really exposed to it. And I had watched this movie. Um, and at first, you know, it, it seems like this kind of just conglomeration of sketch comedy put together. Um, you know, just making fun of all the, the movies that I'd watched kind of growing up. But it, it really was the, the Michael Richards character of, of Stanley Spadowski that just spoke to me in a way that was so so meaningful to have have this character who was so genuine and i I hadn't seen a lot of uh, movies that had genuine characters because again I'm, I'm a young guy i don't have i didn't have a fully developed movie taste so i got to watch all the stuff that my dad did so it was a lot of movies like you know rambo and uh, anything with kind of violence and, and blowing up so i didn't necessarily get a lot of movies that were deep the way you know my sons have had the benefit of of my passing that on to them mm. uh so to see a character like that that was so genuine uh, that was so innocent that, you know, his, his primary concern, like, yes, I'm, I'm glad I did really well in this television show, but I don't want to give up my passion, which is, <laughs> is being a janitor and, and mopping. And there was, there was something so honest ab- about that, that it, it really has kind of changed the way that I, that I saw the world in that, A, that reminder to myself that it didn't matter how, how far my career advanced, that I can never get beyond that point where I, I have a desire to serve. And so even though, you know, I mentioned that I'd never been in fast food, I really did. The first job I had in, in college was was a janitor. So when the building would close at night, I'd change the urinal cakes. I'd, you know, do do all that business. And it, it, it doesn't matter, you know, how fancy my title gets as I get older. That's that's really where I started. That That is my roots, kind of that, that nature of service. And I, I never wanted to lose that thought. And it was planted, you know, by by this movie. And even just the resolution of the film, the, the fact that, you know, this arrogant, rich, uptight, you know, man passes along, you know, here, let me give you this pittance, this penny. And it's, it's this, you know, um, insulting gift that I gave you that ends up, you know, changing, changing the world. So just even, even the whole nature of, of those transactions, because when, you know, the, the, the guy shows up in the first place asking, you know, George for change, you know, he, where, you know, he pulls out, here's his wad of change and he takes out exact change for a dollar. And, and just, just the, 
just realizing that the assumption that I made that he was begging for money as opposed to actually just asking for change because of the way he looked was something else that really kind of just stuck with me um, as, as something of being of benefit of, of reminding myself from as I went out through the rest of my, my adult life. And I think if I'd watched that movie at any other part of my life, you know, other than when you're at that, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, when you're getting ready to go out and, and be an adult, I don't know that it would have been so foundational for me, but it, it really did, you know, lend itself to then, you know, later on when I'm in college, you know, and I'm watching, you know, Man of La Mancha with Peter O'Toole and, and those kind of just themes were just echoing in different ways. And it, it really is interesting that it came from a movie like this for me. That's uh, super. I was just going to ask you because I know you've kind of had like a lifelong love affair with uh, Don Quixote. So, you know, when you were talking about Stanley Spadowski, um, I was kind of uh, wondering and wanted to ask you uh, which came first, which character did you uh, notice first or if you were aware of Don Quixote, did you correlate Stanley Spadowski as a Don Quixote figure and also um i i was you know talking about spoiler spoiler alerts but you just uh you really uh <laughs> let the cat out of the bag with that uh. right if, if you haven't seen it by now i mean <laughs> you know i won't ruin it that you know darth vader is luke's father too but you know that's that's just the way it goes uh, but for for me uh stanley spadowski came first before don quixote and, and sancho that didn't happen for me until like i said a year a year or two later when i was finally in my freshman year of college when you find that truth then then it's easier to find in kind of in other venues and other vehicles and so stanley spadowski came first now kind of piggybacking off of your experiences uh with first seeing this and discovering this movie which i thank you very much for sharing do you recall exposing me to this film now when you use word like expose it always makes me uncomfortable so perhaps we can kind of use a different a different word when you're talking about underage you know young people um you know i've i <laughs> I have been uh, an evangelist or a missionary at heart my entire life. When I when I find a, a good thing, when I find truth uh, of of taking that and sharing and burdening others with the same thing. When I saw that for the first time, I'm like, I can't help but share this movie with anybody that I care about. And and you and your brother both happen to be two people in in my proximity that I cared about. I'm like you will understand and appreciate the truth that this movie is. Yes, you will laugh and yes, it'll be a good time. But man, there is truth here in this vehicle and you can see it too well there you have it ladies and gentlemen uh i promised uh, earlier on that i would have a guest on um and uh talk about my uh, first on. exposure to, uh <laughs> right uh talk about my first exposure to this film um and uh it was bob that yeah. showed this movie to me yeah and i can't re i can't remember like where where we watched it um, we watched it at my house you were i thought um, we had yeah, uh, you. Even though you're only a handful of years younger than I am, um, and barely older than my brother, I think. Yeah, uh, you were uh, who had a birthday with, uh, like what yesterday or the day before? Today, happy birthday, Jeremiah. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, you were spoiler. you were tasked with a, yeah spoiler alert. He's, <laughs> he's he's older than I am. Yeah, you you uh, had been contracted uh, to babysit us, quote unquote, babysit us or uh, watch over us for the evening, and so yeah, we watched it. We went to Premiere Video and rented yes. it and watched it at our place. Oh my gosh, I forgot that that's what it was. It was Premiere Video, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it sure was. Um, oh wow. And I yeah, also I want to take this opportunity to uh, thank you because you when you do find something worthwhile, you do um, you. Also introduced me to Paul Thomas Anderson, who is still one of my absolute all-time yeah. favorite filmmakers. So thank you for that as well. 
Well, and you've you've done you know the the same thing as well. I you you for a while there, and not that anybody who's listening necessarily this is overly you know important to them, but you went through this phase where you watched a lot of really dark, uh, kind of off the off well off the radar movies, um, and and just your openness and and sharing with those things, um, I, I think is good for any of us. Um, when we when we keep the things that we find fascinating. Or, or that touch us in a, in a very uh, you know important way to ourselves. We we rob those around us of that same joy and impact that they've given to us. If nothing else, it it's a it's a flashlight into who we are underneath that kind of just you know shares kind of that very special gift with others. And so the fact that I identify with UHF should tell anybody who's listening right now a lot more about me than I probably should be sharing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I, I have no further notes. Jonathan or uh, Bob, do you guys have anything else you'd like to add about this particular minute or UHF in general? Um, what, I, what I find interesting, that this, this clip, of course, starts, starts with a George lamenting the fact that nobody sees him as a guy with imagination, that they don't recognize and appreciate that as a, as a trait that he has. And I think that's interesting that he, he kind of gets into the middle of that uh, didactic conversation working inside a fast food restaurant. Because it's it's such a reflection of not only the culture at the time, but even where we are today, the things that we put value on um, and the things that we look for in, in, in a worker or even in the working class. And that we, we can't find places for people with imagination and that they struggle to find uh, ways always to be considered productive members of our society. And I, and I think that this whole movie is, is such an, an interesting kind of carrying out of, of that idea, not only George being able to run the UHF station, but even, again, Stanley, who, who becomes then that star of, you know, Stanley Spadowski's Playhouse and, and how that, that changes. And so when you when you find these people who seem, you know, like hexagonal pegs in a very round world and, and they find that area in which they truly fit, it changes. And so it's it's such a reminder for us to see people for who they are and where they're at now and, and not what we want to kind of force them to, to be. Well said. Wonderful. We'll just go back to burnt fries and uh, gray burgers. <laughs> Mustard sprays. Yes. I used to play bass for mustard sprays. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, Jonathan and David, whoever, whichever roles you're playing tonight, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, to be here and to share my thoughts on the 62 seconds of UHF. You know, I'm just going to let uh, David, Jonathan be both roles, and I'll, I'll just... Uh... I'll just get out of here. Jonathan wasn't your middle name, was it, David? <laughs> uh, no, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, we'll have to take that up with your parents, I suppose.